Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. So you really hit on something important for operators. And um, I've told I'm writing a new book from an operator's perspective on how to select the right VR attraction and then operate it and market it for your venue. And one of the things that we don't talk about, we talk about demographics a lot, but we don't talk about the word psychographic, which is the mindset of the customer and carding centers specifically, the people that go to carding centers have a competitive mindset. Now, they might not be there specifically to compete. They might bring friends to compete. They may not. But the mindset of those people is they like to compete. They're either competing against themselves on the clock or they're competing against the people on the track or they're competing against their friends. And so one of the things when I talk to operators that are in the carding business, I say, look for games that have a competitive element to it where you can run tournaments and esports and and one of the things that you haven't talked about and I don't know if anybody's doing this but I think is an opportunity for the chaos jump game because you've got multiple leaderboards right you can actually have multiple simultaneous asynchronous competitions going on so what that means to the audience is you can have the most gold collected this month the most yeah. points collected this month the most robots killed this month or whatever and the more ways you give people to win, the more times they'll play, the more engaged they'll be, the more repeat play they'll do. And I'll throw one more thing out. Jan um, Virtuix has these the treadmill, which I've had mixed opinions about. And Jan is a coaching client of mine. I will also add for disclosure, he's doing a lot of esports tournaments. And recently he said the average team that played in one of his tournaments played 14 times to win the tournament. No, the top team and the average team of that was in played seven games to get onto the leaderboard. Wow. And so there's actual real statistics that are coming out from the industry from people who are doing VR tournaments asynchronous over time. It's a one week or a one month tournament. And the prize pool is minimal. It's not lots of money. You know, it's hundreds or thousands, not tens of thousands of dollars. And it's driving repeat play. So if operators aren't doing that now, you're leaving a fucking ton of money on the table. And I don't know what you're doing as far as building potentially infrastructure or back end to make it easier. Because I actually think operators think it's too hard. And it's not. You need a fucking whiteboard or a blackboard, yeah, exactly. a chalkboard, exactly. and an eraser. Like that's all you need. And freaking put it up and then post it on your Facebook page every day and you're done. You've got a tournament system, right? Exactly. And I think that an operator who's able to sort of think about more than just like putting the machine in the corner and like just pumping money, which which is kind of an older mindset. I mean, you're buying a really cool fucking thing that yeah. you can do a lot of stuff with. And to your point, you know, we are building in sort of tournament modes and we're claim is going to be a great sort of esports platform. That's what we want to do with it. But we really see the opportunity there where, you know, like a local FEC puts up 200 bucks and has a night of it. You know what I mean? And you, this is your buy-in and this is the amount of thing over the course of the evening, you know, you, you're all yeah. planning to sort of win this. It's not a huge investment on, on the part of the FEC owner, but it's really using this machine to, to, you know. So Albert posted a question that I want to address and Mario posted a great point, which um, Simon in Singapore also backed up. So we're going to talk about it. And this is a problem with all VR, which is context. And I've talked about that. And oh, by the way, we'll get into mixed reality. I'm going to give a pitch for that. And you guys need to fucking implement it anyway. So how many months to pay off this system? Look, I think that, Albert, this is a good question, but it also requires a lot of context, right? So it really depends on how you're looking at ROI. What most operators do, and I don't know, post what kind of facility you run, Albert, is it an FEC or you're looking at, at whatever, but 
what a lot of operators in the amusement industry do is they put in a new game and they look at how much money went in that game. And then they figure their ROI in weeks. So I put in a big bass wheel and it cost me 20 grand and it earned a thousand dollars a week. And I made my money back in 20 weeks, which is abject horseshit because all it did was move the money from other games into the new game. And it didn't actually drop, increase the net profitability. So Dave and Busters has done a great job with their Jurassic World, which now is Dragon Quest or whatever, with their VR attraction, because what they did is they didn't make it part of the play card. They charged five bucks a game. And in their public financial statement, and I need to, I'm going to try to do a deep dive with Kevin Backus, by the way, and we're going to talk about this issue, is that they actually saw accretion to their net earnings per share measurable net earnings per share increase based on putting VR in their attraction. So VR brings in new money that you're not necessarily going to get. So when you look at an ROI, if you're comparing it to an arcade game, you just can't do it because it's different. That being said, what I tell people is you need to get your money back in less than two years if you're doing VR. If it's an anchor attraction, you know, you can afford to go a little bit longer. My guess is, and I, I tell companies not to talk about ROI, because I actually don't think anybody believes them when they say it. But I'll ask you guys, what do you guys say about ROI and what should an operator expect based on the early returns that you're seeing? So what we're seeing right now is a you know, ROI as quick as 22 weeks, and it goes up to around you know just under a year. So it really depends yeah. on, again, the type of venue, like, like Bob was saying. And there's multiple ways it's being used. So most, uh, you know, some operators will want to generate money. So it's all about you know, generating new money. But some include it in their birthday packages and stuff like that. So they price it quite differently. But the big interest for them is to be able to sell like premium birthday packages and stuff like that. So there's so many different ways to leverage this unit. That, you know, it's more of a one-to-one conversation or case-by-case conversation. Every location has a story. That's one of the challenges yeah. with getting data out of this. Um, and the other thing I want to say, and this gets to Mario's point, is, you know, the type of employee you put on any VR attraction in any location, unless you're pre-selling all your tickets like a zero latency might do and you're in a destination, you're selling online, which then requires a lot of digital marketing expertise. But if you're actually doing any kind of walk-up traffic, you've got to hire a salesperson. And this is one of the things that Simon said when he's in the mall is, and he realized that he didn't have that over Christmas. So one of the things that Simon said, despite he's your top performing location on that location, he's actually disappointed with the performance because he knows it can do better because he knows he didn't have the right type of employee there. And so now what he's done is he's hired somebody, he's put them on a different comp plan where he's giving them bonuses on a weekly and monthly basis for hitting sales targets. And so, and Scott Greenberg, who runs the Adrenaline Trampoline Park in Atlanta, and he, I did a lot of research with him when I did my presentation at the Trampoline Park show for VR. He said what he did is he took his best party hosts, made them VR hosts, because they had the right personality to be able to explain to people what they did. And even that wasn't enough. Then he went out and hired additional people based on their personality and their ability to sell. So you almost need a salesperson to get people in because the numbers are like 94% of Americans still haven't done VR. And the ones that have done VR is cardboard or Google, you know, what a, you know, gear VR or 360 video, which isn't representative of what our industry is really bringing to the table. And so the right employee, and the reason I bring that up in an ROI context is it's going to bring your labor costs up a little bit, but so your ROI might get pushed out a little bit, but it also rose your revenue. And I don't think anybody's actually done the math yet. 
because mm-hmm. people are still figuring out what the right program is. And so Mario, let me ask you, when you go into one of these, and I know a mall is a hard location, by the way, because you have to pay rent dedicated to that one unit. So you're factoring that into the ROI. And then you've got like the fact that nobody's in malls on a Tuesday afternoon at all, right? And so you're paying labor possibly for one attraction when nobody's there. Well, if you put it in an FEC, you can float labor amongst multiple attractions. So I don't know if you're willing to chime in, Mario, with what your ROI expectation is for the people watching, but that would be really helpful. What about other content? So let's go back to the Holligate and the content conversation. So they're, they've done this, this Angry Birds is coming out. They have an escape room coming out later this year. They're just throwing like it's a content fire hose. What's your thought about third-party content from other developers? Are you going to do that? So right now, I mean, one of the things that's that's very important to us is sort of maintaining a level of quality in the game. You know, uh, the the easiest, fastest solution would just be to just throw in a bunch of shit because uh, there's plenty of people out there who are looking for a platform. There's no shortage of VR developers who you know who are dying on the vine and are looking for a distribution channel uh, besides the regular consumer channel. So what we're doing is we're approaching and having discussions with distributors and really kind of you know, trying to curate like a great selection that speaks to specific demographics. And we're in the process of doing that in addition to, and again, I mean, you know, we're just responding to the market. We're in discussions with a really big Hollywood IP uh, to bring their big Hollywood IP to our machine because that's what people want, you know. Yeah. Uh, what that ends up looking like uh, for the operators is, you know, we, they'll, they'll probably be some kind of, uh, you know, pay-to-play subscription model for some of those that we're in the process of uh, defining, as you know, I'm sure with distribution deals, you know, you're bringing people in and they need to get paid. But yeah, so that's what we're doing. I mean, we're aggressively expanding the library. We've got the first game coming out in March, which we're super excited about. I mean, it's a lot of fun. The world is an amazing, compelling world. And the game is one where, you know, you're just excited to be able to shoot your friends and, you know, you just want to go in and shoot them again and again. And it's, it's fantastic. And at the end of that game, you actually end up on this amazing podium and you can see everybody and there's there's cameras and the cameras that are floating around you are projecting on screens everywhere. It's pretty awesome. It's yeah. pretty great. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So I'm also going to have to do a deep dive with Mario because I've got so many questions for him. I don't want to bring him on screen and talk to him. Yeah. So one of the things he's posted is this idea of different game lengths with different price points and letting the customer decide. So because, you know, one of the challenges is you know, how do you do a demo? And something Scott Greenberg is doing at ex, whatever that Extranolin is he has a VR booth at the front that he charges five bucks to try it. Mm-hmm. And it's like Richie's Plank or something simple. And then in the back, he's selling by the half an hour for 25 or 30 bucks. And so he's got this, what I call the gateway drug, right? Or the on-ramp to VR, yeah. which is a low price point, which re- removes the resistance. And so I think that's a really interesting strategy. And again, we're all trying to figure this shit out right now. So you got to be creative and you got to be open um, if you're going to be in the VR space. One of the places that we're, you know, we still haven't made that partnership, but we're we're looking to find a location that has, you know, like maybe like a larger free roam activity that's much more expensive, that's much more time, uh, and to be there as a way to sort of help people get into the experience. We yeah, I know, I know a few of those guys. I'll make some introductions. Yeah, you know, any, um, any, any Australian uh, large free roam? Uh, yeah. Guy? I know a few of those. Um, so Albert's asking about haptics and motion stuff and environmental haptics. So there was a product I saw at EAG in Europe last year called Vex, which was basically like a combination of a hollow gate and the void. So it had a vibrating floor and it had heat and it had wind and it had haptic vests. And um, and I actually thought it was pretty cool, to be honest with you. What's your thinking around that stuff? 
It's not available right now. We are gearing, you know, we're testing a bunch of stuff now from elements that would be in the rig, which we actually are moving in that direction rather than vests, even though we're testing those as well. And they seem to be, you know, maybe they'll be better for the PVP. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to do stuff that's going to really increase the throughput time. I mean, this was like something like we've been obsessively with our stopwatches. Like how long does it take somebody to get through the game and to get more people through the game? Because that's it. You don't want to be futzing and the battery's dead on this and put that on. And, you know, we really want to keep things moving. What's the game length? That was a question that came up. What's oh, the game length? Six and a half minutes. Okay. And how did you test that to settle on six and a half minutes? Like what was the process? A lot of play testing. A lot so of play. brought in a lot, a lot of people and make sure that we get to a point where they're, they're very satisfied with the experience, but also they want more. So try yeah. to get them to play again. And yeah. it's tricky as you know with VR, like there's some things and uh, fuck, there's some things, uh, early incarnations of our thing, like you've only been in for like, you know, nine minutes, but you want to kill yourself because it just doesn't seem to be ending. You're like, what? you know, or you hear a voice say, you're halfway through. Yeah, you know, no, another half of that. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. The, the Penguin game on Hologate was like that for me, just being honest. Like I loved the first two or three minutes and then halfway in, I'm like, oh, fuck, really? Only halfway? It was it, terrible. It, it really can really expand in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially if you don't have a tight game loop, you know, and you're just kind of doing the same thing again and again without really seeing any immediate appreciable rewards. What Rick's asking about percentage of replay. Is there any, I know you can't get that out of your analytics. Do you have any anecdotes from anybody or? Well, I mean, I, I have as a good example. It was this guy, I think it was Trevin. Trevin? Oh, I want to try <laughs> He came back and played 14 times. And at the end, he closed up the rig and he was sad that we were leaving with it. And, and I know I actually talked to that kid because I, I actually saw him. And it was, Rick, this particular anecdote he's talking about is because he was chasing the high score. And there is a leaderboard. And I did talk to Robin from FEG. And he told me that absolutely they're seeing a higher rate of replay with Chaos Jump and Hologate. Like, and, they, and they operate both. And so half the footprint higher replay value. I think that's why they were so happy with it. And that's just, he told me that at IAPA while we were over at the, um, and Mario saying 40% return customers. But I think Mario, you've said that that's because they want to try different games. And so that's the thing that I'm like, again, my opinion for what it's worth and it's it's informed over 30 years is that you can drive replay value without lots of variety. 40% nomadic Arizona sunshine the new level two, by the way, which I haven't played yet. So they created, they just released a soft, their second game in, in Orlando and they're seeing 40% replay levels, which uh, is awesome. And that's one game. And so design an amazing game and people will play it over and over and over again. And yeah, Mario just said levels. And I think that that's the thing is that it doesn't have to be just games. It can be levels. And that's the continue play feature in arcade games. Yeah. Like that's what had us fucking shoving money over and over and over in the arcade so we can get to the end of the level, right? And so that's the next thing I want to see is I want to see longer serialized content where I can save my spot and go back and keep playing again. And I think they tried to do that with Halo, but you had to log in with your uh, QR yeah, code and a yeah, gamer yeah. tag on a smartphone. And it was so complicated that nobody's yeah. ever used the feature. Yeah. So Jerry's asking about price and I'm going to put down for anybody who's interested, I'll put the overview deck that they sent me. I'll share that. But what's the price of the system? Cause people are asking. Well, I would have that conversation offline. Like uh, everybody can feel free to contact me. The contact information is in the, it's comparable to other units out there, you know, but I would love to have a conversation and sort of like learn more about you guys and what your needs are and what you're looking for and what your expectations of the machine are. 
The one thing that I've learned and the one thing that's been great, and again, we're very young. At some point, maybe I won't be able to talk to all of you, but like right now, it's great. I'm really enjoying the relationship with the partners, figuring out what they want and figuring out as we move forward, how to sort of make that a part of our, our roadmap. So I'd love to, to speak to any and all of you. Feel free to get in touch. Awesome. How do they get in touch with you, Michael? So it's Michael at weareminority.com. So uh, yeah, Michael at weareminority.com, one word, and get in touch. We'll set up a call and we'll have a chat and, and, and uh, sort of uh, figure out how we can get a chaos jump into your location. Awesome. Awesome. Right. And anyway, and there's a link to my book if you're interested. It's on my marketing strategy for how to launch. You could probably use it for locations too. I am writing an operator-focused book that'll be out in the spring. But in the meantime, that's available online. That's been an hour. Guys, thank you so much. It was a really fun conversation. I hope everybody got value out of it. Do me a favor, share this. If you like it, fucking share it for me, all right? Put it out on the internet. Share the link. Put it on social. Get more people involved. So I love you guys. I love all of you. And we'll see you next week with a special guest. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, thank you so much, Bob. Thanks, Cheers. everyone. Okay, bye. That's the end of this interview. We hope you really enjoyed it. There's plenty more resources on Bob's website, which is www.bobcooney.com, or you can find us on all the usual podcast places. We look forward to seeing you again.